0: Uh, This morning is going to be on the initial verses of the chapter of uh, Isaiah chapter 40 and uh, the first 11 verses which Andy read for us uh, earlier on. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about the Lost Boys of Sudan, but uh, there was a civil war that lasted for over a decade in Sudan uh, between sort of uh, the mid-1980s up to around 2000. And uh, in that civil war there were were lots of young boys, uh, some of them not even ten years old, and uh, these young boys found themselves orphaned uh, because of the war. And uh, they they began a, a very long journey on foot from southern Sudan down into Ethiopia and Kenya where uh, they lived in refugee camps, and uh, they weren't in the refugee camps for a few weeks or a few months. They were there for years, and these were massive camps. And uh, the refugees' workers were the ones who uh, christened them the Lost Boys, these children who'd lost everything and had to run away from civil war and ended up dislocated, lost, isolated uh, in these refugee camps in Ethiopia and Kenya. There's a very famous and excellent book written about the lost boys of Sudan. It's called What is the What? Uh, by somebody called Dave Eggers. If you ever get a chance to read the book, it's really worth a read because it gives you such an insight into how people in other parts of the world suffer in in really grave, terrible ways that often we just forget about. So uh, on, on the blurb for the book, it says this. At the heart of this astonishing, soul-wrenching novel is a true story of courage and endurance in the face of one of the most brutal civil wars the world has ever known. It's the story of Valentino Achak Deng, who is just a boy when conflict separates him from his family and forces him to leave his small Sudanese village, joining thousands of other orphans on their long, long walk to Ethiopia where they find safety for a time. Along the way, Valentino encounters enemy soldiers, liberation rebels, and deadly militias, hyenas and lions, disease and starvation. These are, But there are experiences ahead that will test his spirit in even greater ways than these. So, book worth reading, the story of this young boy uh, from southern Sudan. If you're looking for a holiday book, what is the what? Might be a good choice. But I wanted to talk about the Lost Boys of Sudan for a little bit, because the situation uh, that Valentino found himself in as a young boy is very similar to the kind of situation that the people of Jerusalem find themselves in when we read uh, about their circumstances in the book of Isaiah. So, uh, Chronologically, time-wise, it's about 700 BC. uh, And in uh, in the fairly recent past, the the Kingdom of Israel has split in two, between the northern and the southern kingdom. There's been a lot of tension and rivalry, conflict, and then in 720 BC, the northern kingdom uh, falls and uh, is uh, disintegrates. And uh, refugees travel from the north and settle in Jerusalem. So, Jerusalem had a refugee population, and uh, many of the people in Jerusalem uh, lived uh, with the shock and the horror of war and the experience of war. And uh, they still faced a lot of enemy threats, economic uncertainty, and poverty. And so, in those kind of crisis situations people often ask, how do we react? What's the answer? How do we respond? How are we going to find our way out of this crisis? And when people are in crisis, what God wants to say to them is, you don't need to find your own way out, because I'm here, I'm present, and I'm the one who's going to act to rescue, to save to find you, to deliver you, to keep you, and to strengthen you. So that's what the focus is here in uh, Isaiah chapter 40, on what God is doing to help people who find themselves in lost and difficult and distressing circumstances. And uh, that's an important uh, message for us today, because often we find ourselves feeling bewildered by life, confused, uncertain, anxious, afraid because uh, of our health, because of family problems, because of our economic situation, because of traumas from the past. And uh, we find out that we we look for answers, we try to create answers, and uh, we forget that first and foremost what we need is God uh, to intervene and to act in our lives. And so that's where I want to point you today. And uh, I called this sermon Godology. Uh, And somebody asked me what Godology means the other day. I said it's theology for Uh, thickos, Because the word theos uh, just means God. So it's just, all I want to say to you really is look at God. Study God. Think about God. Fix your eyes on God. Get your gaze on God. Because in all the circumstances of your life, the one thing you need to do above everything else is just lift up your eyes and see who God is. If you think about your life as a story or a drama, then the main character in that story is God. And yet, too much of the time, we just kind of keep Him in the background as a minor player, when really we need to have God center stage and the main voice, the main speaker, the, the, the main player in the story of our lives. And so, Godology simply means look at God, think about God, study God. He's the most important person in the world, in the universe, and in your life. And to know Him is the key to so many of the things that you question and that trouble you. So, three things I want to say to you about Godology, about God, from the chapter. Uh, And uh, the first thing is this that in Isaiah 40, we see God comes to us. So, when you go away home and you think, what did Neil speak about this morning? He spoke about Godology, looking at God. First thing was, God comes. God comes. He comes to us. The second thing will be that God's word. We're going to have a little bit think about what God says. God's word. And the last thing will be about God's arm. So, three things. God comes, God's word, God's arm. God comes. So, Isaiah... Um, gives a message to His prophets here, or God gives a message to Isaiah and the prophets here in chapter 40, comfort my people. Comfort, comfort, there's emphasis on comfort, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her. So, here is God coming, and He's coming to people who've made a real mess of things, who've pushed God away Kept him in the background, refused to hear what he's saying, chosen other ways than God's ways. And how does God respond when they make such a mess of everything? Well, God responds by saying, I'm coming to you, and I am coming to comfort you, not to break you. I'm coming to help you, and not to harm you. Uh speak tenderly, verse 2 says, and tell this to my people. Your hard service has been completed, your sin paid for, you've received from the Lord's hand, double for all your sin. Now, it doesn't mean God pays us back double for every sin. God is just, and His uh, judgment is measured. It just means you've had ample repayment for all your sin. And so, the, the, the idea here is that Your suffering isn't endless. Sometimes we find ourselves locked in a situation where we feel that there's no way out and the difficult things are just going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And God says, listen, there is a limit to how much you will suffer. And there is an end to how much you will suffer. And God promises in His Bible, in His Word, that He'll never let us suffer more than we can bear. So if you just flip over to Isaiah 42. Uh, So keep your Bible open, please, as we do this sermon this morning. Uh, Isaiah chapter 42 uh, is about God's Son, Jesus, the servant of the Lord. Here is my servant, it says in verse 1, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. And then this promise, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. That's a promise that God is not going to let you be broken. He's not going to let you suffer more than you can endure. And that uh, he is going to deal with you well and gently. So Jesus comes not to break us, but to help us and to comfort us. And Jesus comes to us as a saving king. So, go back to verse 40, and uh, in verse 3, we get this uh, idea of a messenger, or uh, a herald, uh, somebody who's, who's got news to proclaim, so a broadcaster, uh, and he's shouting out, if you're out in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make a straight in the wilderness, a highway for our God. So, what's happening here? Well, the idea is that God is coming like an ancient king from the Near East, and uh, highway maintenance in the ancient Middle East or Near East was poor, okay, very poor. You think uh, that roads in Edinburgh have got into a terrible state. You can uh, just imagine 700 BC, what the roads were like in and around Palestine. So, the roads were only ever really in good condition when... uh, there was a royal visitor expected. And if the king was visiting your city or your town or your village, everybody had to get out into the desert and start civil engineering. Get the excavators and the wheelbarrows out and the spades and the shovels and make as smooth and straight a highway as they could because a great, important royal visitor was coming. So that's the idea in verse 3. Uh, The description of the civil engineering process in verse 4, every valley raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the ground becoming level, the rugged places a plain. So they're they're creating a kind of elevated highway through the desert for the smooth arrival of the royal visitor. Uh, And the idea then that God is coming, and He's not coming uh, quietly. He's coming in majesty. He's coming in glory, He's coming with power. And so, when we think about God's coming, we've got a God who's coming to us in this great, majestic glory that is His. And what we're told to do is be ready for His coming. If Jesus Christ says He's coming to comfort, to strengthen you, are you ready to receive and accept Him? So, that calls for not uh, civil engineering, but What we could call spiritual engineering. Uh, Are there obstacles in your life that are keeping God from coming near to you? Are, Are there things that you need to clear out of your life so that you're ready to receive Jesus Christ the King? Now, these things might be a sense of rebellion towards God a sense of anger towards God, a sense of bitterness. It might be your own pride. There are so many things that kind of build up as rubble in our lives. And sometimes we've got to say, what are the blockages? What are the things that are preventing me from meeting with God and receiving the presence and the blessing of Jesus Christ in my life? Clear it out. And then... Verse 5 also speaks about God coming to us, and it says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And that's a kind of projection way, way into the future. We're 700 BC here uh, in, in Isaiah. We're sort of 2000 AD now, a lot later. But Isaiah was actually forecasting, predicting, seeing something even much further beyond that. What he's seeing is the glory of jesus christ fully revealed to all people all flesh the whole world the whole universe when he returns at the end of time to judge the world all flesh will see his glory uh, all mankind together will see it so and that that speaks about the final coming of jesus christ and that's the greatest coming of all do you know what we're told when we see him in his glory, we will marvel at his beauty. That's an incredible thought. Marvelling at how beautiful Jesus turns out to be. You may think Jesus is beautiful, but you have no idea. You may have seen many things that are gorgeous in this world, and none of them are like Jesus. All the world will marvel and worship at the appearance of his glory. And on that day, what does Jesus do? Well, he says to some people, come. Come, you who are blessed. And to others, he says, depart. And those who come, they come into the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And there, there is no more lostness, no more distress, no more suffering. There is just the perfect, beautiful reign and person of Jesus. And for those who depart, then there is just the most immense loss to be separated from the beauty of Jesus forever. So God brings that into our focus. He's coming to to us through the cross, through Jesus. He's coming to us now in the Holy Spirit, and He's coming to us again at the end of time. So God is coming. God has come to you. Second thing is God, and His Word, God speaks. Uh, So this is verse uh, 6 down to 8. So verses 6 to 8, have a look at them as I speak about them to you. Uh, I was once uh, away with a bunch of guys. I used to be a minister in a church in Fife in Kirkcaldy, and a bunch of the guys went hill-walking for two or three days and camping in Glencoe. And Glen Etive, And on the last day, we walked a section of the West Highland Way. We were at Tyne Drum uh, at the Green Welly stop, if you've ever driven up that road uh, towards Fort William or Glencoe. And uh, one of my friends jumped into his lovely French made automobile. And uh, just as he drove off, the engine blew up. The turbo failed, it was a diesel engine. The engine did something called hydraulic, in, which means it sucks all the oil out and then it runs. Uh, dry and smashes all the valves to pieces. So his car was destroyed in seconds in the middle of nowhere. He was greatly uh, distressed. It cost him a fortune. Well, I am a smart and wise man, so I bought a car with exactly the same engine about six months later. And about six months after that, I was in Inverness with this car when exactly the same thing happened. The, 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 the turbo goes, and the engine, bam, £9,000 bill. So... Uh, Fortunately, it was under warrant and and, uh, the garage uh, ordered me a new uh, car and it was coming new to me, second-hand, coming from Wales uh, with 24,000 miles on the clock. And as it was being driven up uh, to to Fife from Wales, guess what happened? (laughs) So engine blew up, car destroyed. They had to put a brand new engine in it. So I won't tell you the make of car, But compare that with the Honda VTEC engine, which the all-wise Jeremy Clarkson tells us has never had a warranty recall in all the millions of VTEC engines ever made. So you get something that's completely useless and unreliable and frail, uh, or a VTEC engine which will go forever, apparently. And I always choose uh, weak and frail. Now, the comparison here, then, is between weak and frail, And strong and enduring. And uh, that's, there's a kind of dialogue in verses 6 to 8. So think about the dialogue. Uh, Line one, or actor one, says, a voice says, cry out. So somebody goes, cry out. And the other guy goes, what am I going to cry? Have you seen these people? They're like grass. Their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Now, what's been said here? Well, one voice says, speak to the people. Tell them about God. And the other guy says, what's the point? Have you seen them? Why should I cry out? These people, they're so frail. They're so broken. Now, I don't know about desert flowers. I've never met a desert flower or seen a desert flower. But I know about lettuce. And uh, I've put lettuce in the fridge with good intentions of eating it. Uh, eventually, i am gone back a couple of weeks later, uh, ready for my lettuce, and uh, sort of psyched myself up for the green experience. And you take the lettuce out two weeks later, and it's sort of shriveled up, and it's gone damp and uh, sort of limp and horrible. And you just take that bag of lettuce, and with a quiet rejoicing in your heart, you throw it in the bin. <laughs> and you think, okay, I don't need to do lettuce again till next year. So, uh, so, that's like a desert flower. God is saying we're like limp lettuce, moldering at the back of the fidge Yeah, just sort of weak. And so the guy says, listen, that's what people are. They're limp lettuce. Why should I... There's no point in saying anything to them. They don't listen. They can't do anything. They're so weak. They're so powerless. So, what's the response that he gets to that? Well, at the end of verse 7, the guy says... Sure, the people are limp lettuce, or sure, the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. People are frail and weak, but the Word of God stands forever. So, in in our lostness, what we find is that our hope isn't in ourselves or our capacity or our, our strength because actually we turn out to be very frail. We're frail morally, we're frail physically, we're frail intellectually, we're frail emotionally and spiritually. We're frail in all kinds of ways. But into that situation of weakness, God speaks a powerful and enduring and life-giving word. His word stands forever. His word is a vitae engine that will go on and on and on forever. And that's very important because what the what the people in Jerusalem were doing is they were looking for human solutions to complicated problems without realizing that their greatest need was for God. So they tried to form political alliances and military alliances that would give them greater security. They teamed up with the people that they thought would make them feel better about life and better about their circumstances. And they thought that those people would be the key. And God is saying, look, you're looking for solutions in the wrong place. Because ultimately, your problems have a dimension that no human being can resolve. There's a spiritual dimension to the issues we face. And so we need the God of spiritual life and power to address the crisis. Now, it might be, a, our crisis could be all kinds. It could be about relationship, it could be physical, it could be mental, it could be social. And of course, we we, we need to nuance this just a little bit and say, where there are helpful people and helpful ways of, and wise ways of addressing our situation, we do apply our human understanding and abilities, and we look for the help of other people. But the nuance is that we don't put all our confidence in that. Rather, we put our confidence ultimately in God, and we rest in Him, and what He can do through human intelligence and other people, and so on. And the and the problem with the Israelites was that they actually they looked for human solutions that were really contrary to what God had said. So he was saying, listen, this is the way you're to live. And they said, well, look, over here are a bunch of Egyptians who could really help us out. And, uh, you know, perhaps if we just worship the Egyptian gods along with them, then their gods will add strength to our situation. And so they took a, a really wrong turn. And, that, and if we're looking for solutions outside of God... to to our need then sometimes that takes us away from God in a very unhelpful way and uh, leaves us further adrift and more lost than we were and so all the time we're going back to the word of God, it's a living word it's like uh, sweet bread, you know, that we want to eat and consume, so God comes to us as a king, God speaks to us with a living powerful word, get Into God's word. Hear what God is saying. Last thing, briefly, is God's arm. Uh, Verse 9 through uh, to verse 11. Now, I want to say three things about God's arm. Uh, There's another threefold thing in verses 9 to 11, which is about looking or beholding, which doesn't come out too well in the translation in front of us. The very last line of verse 9, if you look at it, it says, says, Behold or, or observe your God. And then verse 10 says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and His arm rules for Him. See, His reward is with Him. Uh, some of us are good at looking but not seeing. So, uh, you know, I'm not an observant person. You may have had a haircut. I won't notice for three weeks or four weeks or ever. Uh, or you may have bought a new car and, you know, it just doesn't register. And lots of us are like that. We look, but we don't really see. And what God wants us to do is to observe carefully. Observe, observe, observe. Who are we to observe? Well, back to the beginning of the sermon, we're to observe him. Look at God. Godology. Study God in his word. Three things then about God's arm. First of all, it says he comes with power as arm rules for him. Now what? The Bible often talks about the arm of the Lord or the arm of God. What does it mean? Well, it's taken a a very familiar picture of somebody's arm, and uh, the arm of God speaks of strength. So, in this context, it says his, his power is with him, and he comes with power, his arm rules for him. But the arm, of course, is maneuverable and extendable and retractable, and it helps us to grasp. And so, when the Bible speaks about the arm of God, it's speaking about the application of His power, about the action of His strength, the arm, doing all these things. So, one, when we speak about God's arm, we're saying God is coming to act for you. He'll use His strength and His power and apply it into your life situation and on your behalf and he'll use that arm to rule in your situation, to take control of your situation, and to exercise his power in that situation. So that's the first thing about the arm, is it's the application of God's strength to your situation. The second thing about the arm is that with this arm, God holds out salvation. In verse uh, 10, the second part, it says, see behold, observe. His reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. So, he's in his hand. He's he's holding something in his hand, in this picture. What's he holding? He's holding salvation. Now, salvation is God's reward. What do we mean by that? Well, Isaiah will go on in chapter 53 to talk about the suffering of the servant of God, eh, the Lord Jesus Christ, And uh, that suffering comes true in the experience of Jesus and his life, his incarnation, his death, and resurrection. And uh, God gives his son Jesus to suffer death on the cross in this very particular way. And God is rewarded for giving his son in this way with salvation. he's now able to save. If God didn't give Jesus to the cross, God wouldn't be able to save. But the reward of God giving Jesus to the cross is that God is able to save. No cross, no salvation. So God's reward is that now he's able to save. That tells us this very clearly. Salvation is God's possession. He holds it in his hand. And that then means that salvation is in God's gift. If we want salvation, we have to receive it from the hand of God. And that's the second picture of the arm of God here. His arm uh, reached out with salvation. So we just want to picture that for a moment here. In In our service this morning, God's arm is reached out. To you and to me through his word. In his hand, what is God holding out to you? He is holding out salvation, deliverance, rescue, forgiveness, and freedom through the cross of Jesus Christ. And as God holds it out to you, God is asking for a response. He's saying, are you going to take the salvation or leave it? Are you going to take what I'm offering through Jesus or reject it? And so God places that responsibility on you today as he reaches out. The third thing about his arm, he holds us. There's a really great picture in verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. And that? that is a, a sweet picture. A shepherd cradling a little lamb. Frail, shivering, hungry, frightened. And the shepherd carrying it. And that's what God says. I lift you into my arms. And I hold you close to my heart. And that's a great relief. Often we find we're, or feel we're carrying a lot of burdens in life. And God says, you may be carrying a lot of burdens, but I am carrying you. I have you in my arms. And so there's this great tender picture of God and His mercy and His kindness and His involvement in our life. So look to God. That's what Godology means. Look to God. Remember this great God who comes, who speaks, and His arms. And I want to say that what we find in Isaiah is that the more we see of God, the more we want to worship God, and the more we want to thank God, and the more we want to celebrate God and delight in God. And so please, as we finish this service, just recognize that God is really deserving your worship, deserving your thanks and your praise today. And take away from here that intention through grace to make God the main focus of your life. I'm going to pray, we're going to sing. Lord God, hear us as we come to you today to ask for your arm of salvation to reach out in this church. Lord, we have many difficulties in life, but we have a God who comes to us, who speaks to us, reaches out his arm to rescue us and we ask that that process will be at work in our lives today. To your glory. Amen.